church, how we doing? Justin's doing good, that's all we hear. Hey church, how we doing? So I've got this box on stage, Uh, everyone can read that. What does it say? My life. life. We'll get into that in just a second. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm not the guy that's usually doing this job preaching, uh, but I want to say welcome to Journey where people matter most. Uh, My name is Brian, Bobby and Connie are traveling. Uh, I believe they're in Canada, haven't heard from them yet. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it might not be a good thing, but I think they're in Canada. They are visiting family, and they are with uh, two grandchildren for the holidays. They'll be gone for about maybe 13, 14 days, Uh, so that's great for them, great for them to go and travel. So I am on deck for the next two weeks, and let me just start by saying this. Christmas is probably my most favorite time of the year. Uh, It's a feel-good season, celebrating the birth of Jesus Uh, gathering with family, presents being opened, Santa coming to visit as long as you're on the nice list. Say nice. It's nice to be nice. Uh, Just today and yesterday, uh, we were able to take all of our socks that were donated by you guys and uh, all of the candy and other things that we collected uh, to our local nursing homes. Uh, We went to Parkside yesterday, went to Shady Lawn today, and I've got to tell you, uh, the Cynthia and the Cheese store knocked this out of the park. Such a nice meal for them. We were able to go into Parkside uh, yesterday and be with them while they ate. Today, uh, we just went in and gave the gift bags, and then they ate after we left. Uh, But it was a great thing to do. Santa and Mrs. Claus made an appearance. uh, And when we walked into Shady Lawn today, you would have thought the Wildcats were playing. I mean, the place erupted. We said, we're from Journey Church, and just roars of applause and cheer. So happy to see us. And uh, as we were leaving, and everything turned out great, let me say that first. And special thanks to everyone involved. But one resident today I overheard telling a volunteer, thank you for caring about us. And that says it right there. It's nice to be nice. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much to everyone that helped with that. It's uh, one of the best things that we do all year long, and uh, it's awesome to be involved with that. So thank you so much. And I hope you and your family are in the Christmas spirit. And just a reminder, Christmas Eve is on Sunday, so join us next weekend, Saturday the 23rd at 6, Sunday the 24th at 10.30 for our Christmas weekend message. Come and celebrate Jesus' birth with us, and we will be having free ice cream at the coffee bar, and it's been warm enough that we can do that. It's been really warm this December for some reason. Uh, but stick around. Uh, Saturday night we'll have some coffee, uh, some ice cream at the coffee bar. Sunday we won't serve it in the morning. We will save parents from that trouble afterwards. We don't want to be responsible for that. Uh, but stick around Sunday afternoon um, after service, and we'll serve some ice cream there uh, if you're here with us. Because if you and if you have a peop- uh, people, family member, coworker that loves Jesus and loves ice cream, or maybe they should get to know Jesus a little bit, you might want to invite them next weekend to hear this Jesus Christmas message. We've also got those Christmas devotional books available at the welcome desk. Be sure to take one with you before you leave today. Now, I say all that, and we're we're getting into the message here. Today we're kicking off this two-part mini-series called Unexpected Christmas. And I've got to tell you a little bit of backstory of why I came up with this message, and for the next week's message as well. So I started preparing this message back in October, and as I did this, I began to reread the Christmas story. Because as we get closer to Christmas, and you come to church, and you expect to hear the pastor, hear the speaker, talk about 
Christmas. That's pretty much it. Uh, that's obviously what happens. So Easter and Christmas, they're pretty self-explanatory messages. And if you're a church-going person, or if you're looking to go to a new church on Easter or something like that, um, you know the story. You know what happens Easter. You know what happens, you know, on Christmas. It's kind of like a movie that you've seen over and over again. And so this makes it a little bit harder for us to be able to talk about this because, you know, it's the mentality like, oh, here we are. It's Christmas again. I know what he's going to talk about on this weekend. Uh, I'm doing it a little different tonight. Uh, I began reading ahead of time uh, the Christmas story, the Christmas message, and I wanted to get some fresh insight. And I'm, I'm asking God to speak through this story that we all know so well, the story that is so central to this season And there's feelings of, well, maybe we should just show up and read the Christmas story because of how well we know it and how profound it is. But I started to reread this months ago. Even listening to Christmas music back in October, I committed the ultimate sin of doing that. And uh, yeah, so I'm guilty of that. And uh, so I've been in the Christmas spirit since October, and I'm so excited for this message. But I found something that I think is true of myself and also true of you And it certainly ties in with this incredible, miraculous story that we know as Christmas. Now, I don't know what kind of year you've had, uh, what went on, what happened. Mine wasn't all that bad. There were a couple things that I felt might have been better, could have gone differently. Uh, Some things left me, you know, scratching my head and thinking, what just happened? Or why did that happen? And why does so much happen all at the same time? And maybe you had those feelings too. And in fact, I think most of us have this desire to find meaning and trying to make sense out of the details of life that I don't want anything to be random. I want everything to make sense, and I want everything to fit together in a certain way that I want it to be, that I can look back on my life and see that everything happened the way that I wanted it to happen. And that leads me to this box. So inside this box, if I can open it up without hitting myself in the face here, I've got a Christmas tree in here, and you will not believe that it's a Christmas tree, but it really is. You can see it right here. Christmas tree. Nothing fancy. My sister put these bows on, and it was actually an accident because we thought we were putting this on the coffee bar, but we really weren't. And she was mad about that, but she got over it, so it's okay. Now, I've got this tree skirt here, and I'm just going to set this up right here, and I'll try to keep talking. Again, it's nothing fancy, just a little tree for decoration, and you can see one on the screen there as well. Uh, once we get it on the screen there. We've got a Christmas tree. Now, anyone have Christmas trees up in their house? Raise a show of hands. Christmas trees in your house. Anyone have more than one? Okay, you're crazy. That's, that's it. So, you're crazy. I know people that have like three or four in their house, and uh, they're really crazy. Something I learned growing up was that when decorating the Christmas tree, you have to have ornaments in certain places. And I can remember when I was little, my mom sitting back there, uh, she would go through and move the ornaments that I put the same color beside each one, and she would move them to where they were spread out evenly. And uh, I, I do that now with, uh, my, with my daughter, Briella. We did that this year. And we have our own ornaments, but we like to do blue and white because we're Wildcat fans. We like to have a blue and white theme on the tree, so we had to make sure white and silver and blue were spread out evenly, that blue wasn't on top of blue and so on and so forth. The heavy ornaments have to be on stronger branches. Some, you know, some same color ornaments, garland. Oh my goodness. I cannot tell you that I didn't know about the whole garland thing until I got married. Bridget is a garland freak. She loves garland on the tree. And so I've got this tree here, and I've got an example on the screen. 
And we're going to call this, like we just said in this box, we're going to call this my life. And I'll set this here as kind of a reminder for those of you that can see here. And if you're watching online, you should be able to see this tree on the screen. And I've actually got a couple ornaments here. And so what we're going to do is I've got these kind of labeled here. You, you can't see them, but I've got an ornament. So we'll show that first ornament there on the screen. Uh, I believe it's gold. We'll mark these gold ones first. We're going to put the gold ones on the tree first. And what we're going to do is we're going to have this tree of my life or, or your life, and we're going to put these ornaments on. And uh, these are things that happen throughout life. And so not all of these have happened to me or will happen to me, I'm just saying. But some of these experiences that we have happen throughout life, and so they go on our tree of life. So here's the first one. Uh, this is when me and Bridget met, when I met my spouse. We'll just put that right here. We met in college. Uh, we were two broke college kids. We're still broke, uh, but we're madly in love, and uh, I couldn't thank God enough for a great partner. Here's where we got married. We'll put this on the tree, too. Uh, we got married back in 2016, and uh, we've been going strong ever since then. We've got our daughter, Briella. She just turned eight. That's all I got to say about her. <laughs> she's your typical eight-year-old. No, she's smart. She's caring. She's so kind. She had a great year at school so far. Went to her Christmas party on Friday. It was a lot of fun. Here's where we got our first job. I don't know what your first job was. My first big job was this one, uh, but I've worked fast food. I've done all that kind of stuff, and I won't go back. But there's more stuff that we can add on this tree. Maybe stuff that hasn't happened to me yet, maybe to you. Uh, your child, that child you had, they graduated from high school or college, whichever one you want to put on. And maybe here's another one. Maybe you bought your first home. We bought our home back in 2018 when we moved out here to Journey. I'm from Cynthiana, but moving back here to my home church and being youth minister here, uh, it's a really cool thing. And maybe for some of you, here's your retirement. So we'll put that on the tree too. So we've got our retirement, bought your first house, child graduated from high school, your first job. You've got all these life events that you just want to hang on your tree. And in fact, I think it's part of human nature, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, that in every culture and in every language, there's terminology that we use. And we don't think about these phrases very often. Because when we do, we use these too much, and life begins to just kind of happen. But we use these phrases, we use these terms to reinforce this idea that everything has a purpose, everything's going somewhere, that there's not really any kind of random event in life. That someday we can look back on life and say, man, everything just kind of fit together. You may have heard this before, everything happens for a reason. You may have heard that before. And I don't do this when I hear it, but part of me questions, really? Everything happens for a reason. And again, you don't want to start poking holes in this because that's when things tend to fall apart. But there's something in you, and there's something in me that wants to believe, well, even though I don't understand it now, everything happens for a reason. You may have heard this one too. There's no such thing as coincidences. I've said that a lot, and I truly do believe it. And we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, we've said, well, what a coincidence, or what a small world. I don't believe in coincidences. What does that really mean? Well, I don't know. I just don't believe in them. I think there's some kind of higher power or God or karma. I don't know. There's something 
that I just don't think in, I don't believe in coincidences because it all has to fit together. I don't like this one myself. You just haven't met the right person yet. I don't like that one. There's plenty of fish in the sea, they say. Well, what does that mean? It means someday. Well, based on what? Well, I don't know. Don't ask me such hard questions. And then there's the, I guess it wasn't meant to be. There's those kind of things too. And what does that mean? It's not my fault. It's not their fault. We just weren't meant to be. Things weren't just meant to be. So there's something in you and there's something in me where we want to believe that everything can and will work out together for good. Just like these decorations on the tree. Just like these ornaments that we put on. Now things do work out. But it's also true of the negative things in life. Some are continuing to work out. We say it'll all work out. Well, based on what? Don't ask me such hard questions. It'll all just work out. We just want things to fit together. And even when we see and experience something that points us in the direction of this randomness of life, this, you know, where it's kind of pointless and kind of purposeless, there's something in you and me that kind of wants to connect the dots. That we find ourselves scrambling to find the good and the bad, positive and the negative, the purpose for our pain. And think about this. I don't know a lot of people, and if you do, uh, pick their brain. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people that try to make sense out of the good things of life. People who are obsessed with trying to make sense of all of these great things happening in life. I've never met anyone that's struggling with, I wonder why my parents didn't get divorced. Or why didn't I lose my job? We, we expect to have good things. We don't expend energy looking for purpose and meaning in the good things that we consider to be good because it's normal to us. Because let's be honest for a second. The good things suit us. They suit our purpose. They benefit us. I want my life to be good. And anything that is good, I don't have to find meaningful, right? Because this really comes into play when we hit a big bump in life. I don't, I'm not talking about Walmart where you hit a little speed bump. I mean, you're cruising in life. Things are going great. You're hanging all these ornaments on your tree of life, and then, bam, life happens. And then we ask ourselves, why did this happen? Or, why did God allow this to happen? And if God is so good, why did it happen? So we're going to go back to our tree. We've got it on the screen here. We've got all of our ornaments in place, just like we do up here. And when you're facing a tragedy or facing something that's causing you pain, there's something in us that wants to figure out, where do I hang this on my tree? So we'll throw this up there. Divorce. No one marries and plans to go through a divorce. But things happen. Sickness. Nobody plans to wake up one day and have cancer, or have some kind of life-threatening disease or illness. Accidents. I've never met anyone that plans to get up and have a fatal car crash happen to them one day on the way to work. Sudden loss. You weren't expecting to wake up and lose the one person that was anchoring you down in life. It doesn't, we don't plan that. Job loss. You weren't planning on waking up and losing your job. The nice paying job that you had. We don't plan for the bad things to happen. We do plan to meet someone we plan to maybe get a promotion. We plan to get engaged. We plan a wedding. We plan to have kids. 
But this right here, this wasn't in my plan. And so where does this fit on my tree of life? Where do we put these tragic events and experiences that happen in life? Because deep down, we believe that things have to fit together. And here's the second thought to all of this. Why do we have that question within us? I've got two dogs at home. They're polar opposites, by the way. One is eight years old. He's very obese. And he's very lazy. And he is an Australian Shepherd Blue Healer mix. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've got a two-year-old that is a Husky Healer mix that is wired all the time. Now, unless science proves me wrong, I don't think that my dogs are thinking about their day until dinner time, when it's time to eat, when it's time to take a nap, and saying, I wonder how this nap is going to connect to the nap I had yesterday or, you know, the toy that I'm about to tear apart after I just got. I wonder how it connects to the toy that I got two days ago. I don't think our dogs are doing that. I don't think our dogs are trying to connect things. But there's something in you, something in me, that wants to make sense out of life. Now, most Christians, we know why. Because as Christians, we believe that we have been made in God's image. We believe that God is a purposeful God, that God is involved in history, and that God thinks sequentially, and that God brings order out of chaos, that he brings design into things that seem to have no design. And this thing that is inside of you and inside of me that wants to make sense out of life, to connect these dots, to make sure that every little detail, every little ornament on the tree is hung with care, we have that in us because that is a reflection of the image of God inside of you. That's why we have that. You can't escape it. You can't get away from it. And in fact, for some of us, it's actually how we found our faith in God. Ecclesiastes 4.11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see, and other translations say fathom, cannot see or cannot fathom, the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And so in other words, we're all longing for a narrative that makes sense of things, an explanation for what's going on in the world, but more specifically, what's going on in our world. And we long for one because there is one. C.S. Lewis, famous author in Mere Christianity, writes, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so we assume there's a plan when things go off the rails from our perspective, and that's when we're the most interested in what the plan is. And that's when we look for assurance that God is still in control, that God is still up to something. So of course we ask the question, why? And so that's the image of God in us, because we're made in his image of a purposeful God, who created a purpose-filled world. And so think about these phrases that I've coined around. None of those are religion-based. They, they come out of our mouth, just out of our train of thought, because of the image of God, that nature within us. And we want these events, suffering in particular, the bad things in life, to connect to something. Something purposeful. And when it's not apparent on how it does connect, we start to go looking. And so perhaps that's how you came to faith. After trying to make the narrative out of life, 
you found why. You found God. And it's easy to do when you're young. And we all end up doing it. And eventually you begin to ask, what is going on? And why am I here? And if you're really dialed in, you might ask this question. Why do I even care? Because there was like a pebble in your shoe that you just couldn't get rid of. And you had to take that shoe off. And you had to get that pebble out of your shoe so you can continue to walk. And that's kind of what that question is like. It's there and you know it's there. You're just going to try to keep going and try to ignore it. But eventually, things get a little uncomfortable and you have to take it out. But the same dynamic, the same question of why did this happen to me, we ask, why did it happen to my son? Why did it happen to my career? And when you can't find an answer, when you get that call, when things go bad, when he left, when she left, when they didn't recover, your faith also didn't recover. And it dawned on you one day, maybe I don't believe anymore. And that's where a lot of people are today. And you weren't searching for that alternative, but something happened in your life that made you question life. And that's understandable, because I did it too. I had a kind of crisis this past year, and I questioned myself. Am I called into ministry? Am I really capable of doing this? Do I have what it takes? I believe that I do. But for about three months, I didn't know if I did. But that question was inside of me about purpose. Does God really see purpose in this situation, in these doubts and anxieties and depressions that I go through? Does he really see that? But the fact that you lost your faith when life didn't make sense actually highlights and serves as a reminder that there is something within you that requires a purposeful world, that life's not what you expected. And when the world around you begins to fall apart, your faith and your belief about a God that was supposed to sustain your world, that idea also fell apart. But that thing, that notion that life has to make sense, it's still there. And it came from somewhere, possibly from someone. Because even without faith, even without belief in some sort of a transcendent being called God, you continue to look for meaning, you continue to look for purpose, and a point to all of this, because even without faith, you can't bring yourself to embrace a worldview that only offers this kind of purpose that seems imaginary that doesn't seem beneficial in the long run. And perhaps you can't embrace this kind of worldview because it's not the world that you live in. But your soul insists that there's more. Maybe eternity lies in your heart, just like we read in that scripture. And so imagine for a moment that there is more to life than it seems. Just imagine that for a second. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've got on your mind tonight, I don't know what you're going through online. I don't know what half of you have got on your mind tonight in here in person. But God is speaking to you right now. Whatever you've got on your plate, just think for a moment that there's more to life than it seems. That this thing inside us is not just a byproduct of something like evolution. That imagine for a moment that there is a transcendent being that we call God who has his own purpose, who has his own plan for humanity and for you, and that once in a while... That plan is going to interrupt your life. Say interrupt. And what if that plan requires a disruption? What if that plan from time to time 
requires this disruption in our assumptions of how things should be. What would it look like if God, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, interrupted the natural world as we know it in order to give us something that connects us to our purpose, to meaning, and it's like a hook that we can hang things on, it's like a tree that we can hang ornaments on. And as it turns out, there were a handful of people in the first century that were so convinced that they risked their lives to ensure that there was a special moment in time that God intersected with humanity and it would be recorded for all time because the person and the message of Jesus was in fact for all time. It's a really long introduction. But this message is called Random Christmas because the narrative surrounding the birth of Jesus is actually a reminder that this thing that is inside of you that wants to connect these dots is not something that we can simply ignore. It's a reminder that the world is not random. It's not as random as it seems at times. And it's a reminder that we have this narrative that we have been invited, we've been included, a narrative that provides us with context for our entire life based on this one moment in history that happened. It also reminds us we're not the main characters in this story. It reminds us that time to time the author's purpose of this story actually runs counter to what we expect. But in these seemingly random moments of life, the unexpected interruptions, the dots do connect. There is a divine story. At Christmas, we actually celebrate the moment in time when the author of the story decided to do something about it and doing so created the ultimate interruption. If you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, you can go ahead and write this down. The Christmas story is, in fact, a way, almost a perfect example, of God dipping down into the randomness of life. The chaos of life, the insignificance, the meaning, the meaninglessness of life, God dipped down and reminded the world that there is a plan there is a design. History will move forward that God is the God of history and that the Christmas story shows how God intervenes in the world that he created. Being involved with mankind, doing it in such a way that no one saw coming. And it's a God that understands us, knows us, and he cares about us. And when you think of the Christmas story, you probably think of this. We are going to get to read it. You probably think of Luke 2. Verse 1 says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the family line of David, and he was to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, that's what we think of when we think of Christmas. We think of that passage specifically. Joseph had to report back for a census. He and Mary are traveling back to his hometown no lodging available. Jesus is born. 
the angels are singing, and that's the Christmas story. That's what we think of. But it wasn't that simple. And in fact, it was anything other than simple. Some might even say it was random. Say random. I know you're still here listening now. And I feel that most people would feel the same way regarding the Christmas season because Christmas really is the most stimulating time of the year. There are lights and sounds and traditions and experiences that really captivate us and want us to have its attention. But like we talked about last weekend, there are people that dread this season. There are people that really do not look forward to Christmas at all. There are parents that have presents to buy. There are presents to wrap. (laughs) And I've got a side story here, and I'm going to tell it. Briella and I were on wrapping duty. Say, wrapping duty? duty. We were on wrapping duty. And I'm I'm getting away from the table now. I'm getting a little bit comfortable here. I'm going to be like, Bobby, I'm not going to go down here, though. You won't be able to see me on the live stream if I go down there. We were on wrapping duty, and what we were doing is trying to get all these presents wrapped. Bridget was, I think it was a Saturday. She is a gym freak. She can pick me up. (laughs) I'm not light. (laughs) She's a gym freak, and she's been going to the gym a lot. And so while she was out of the gym, me and Briella were home. I was like, let's wrap some presents. And we were flying. We were going through wrapping presents. You would have thought that we were workers at the workshop for Santa. And uh, we get to this last box. And she's my tape person. If you have wrapping duty, you always have a tape person, the one that's always on standby giving you the tape. I learned that from my mother when I was the tape person when I was little. So Briella was my tape person. And so I'm wrapping this box, getting it done. I said, Briella, tape. She said, we don't have any tape. I said, no. And seriously, the box was wrapped except for the last little flap on the end of the box. (laughs) And doesn't it happen that way, that life happens that way, that when we're going through life, when things are happening, we're on a roll, we run out just a little bit longer. There's parties to attend. There's cards to send out. You'll never get a Christmas card from me. I'm just saying, I don't have time, people. I don't know how you do. I don't have time to take my family to take pictures and stuff. And knowing me, I would get them stamped, and I'd forget to mail them out. (laughs) That's what would happen in my life, because that's the kind of person that I am. Christmas really does capture our hearts and our minds. And sometimes it's a feel-good season, but other times for other people, it's an overwhelming season. It's a heartbreaking season. It's a season where we long to get the longest nap ever into the new year because life gets chaotic, life gets random, and it hits us the most like when we're cruising through life. It just kind of hits the most. So I'm rewinding a little bit. We're not going to read the typical Christmas story. And this isn't the typical Christmas message, as you've already noticed. This is a really long introduction. If you've got a Bible, if you follow on your smartphone, however you do it, or you can follow along the screen, we're going to be in Luke. That's the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to find Luke's account. Now, before I get there, I do want to tell you about Luke, because if you're not a Bible person, if you're not a church person, I do want to clear something up. I'm sure that all of us have had someone, maybe an influence, maybe a parent, maybe a teacher, maybe some kind of college professor. And they told us that the Bible was a myth. They told us that it's just literature, it's just a story. And it wasn't even written by God, it was written by people, and people are, you know, sinful. So how can it be trusted? 
And when they do that, they kind of kick the legs out from under you with that take. And it kind of discourages you. I want you to know that whoever told you that, they could very well be sitting in a church right now and be a believer. And it's not their fault. Maybe something happened in their life that turned them away from God. But just like I was talking a moment ago, the image of God was in them. And maybe they found God in some kind of tragedy in their life. So really quick, the Bible's not a book. It is not even a collection of books. It's a collection of ancient manuscripts, and they were put together in a binder. That way it was easy to travel, easy to flip to certain manuscripts. And you could pick it up and read it, and it was portable. And one of the ancient manuscripts that was written in the first century was by a man named Luke. Um, and some of you probably, if you're going through the disciples in your head, going through the apostles, like, I don't know who Luke is. And really, no one knew who Luke was. Uh, we know he was a doctor, and uh, he needed this orderly account of the life of Jesus so that people who were coming along behind him, generation after generation, could have this account to know what happened. And so in the first few verses of Luke 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll skip down to the Christmas story. But Luke 1 says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, meaning not just me, there are many people, and Luke is writing that this happened in his own life. And in verse 2 he says, Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, so it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write you in orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. And I'll talk about that in a second. So that you may know the certainty of things about which you have been instructed. In other words, Luke is saying, I know this information because I got it firsthand. I, I saw the eyewitness accounts. I talked to them in person. And this is how I know this. And we don't know who Theophilus was, but most scholars would agree that this had to be some kind of high-ranking Roman official back in the day. And Luke had high respect for this person. And this doesn't sound like a once upon a time in little Bethlehem or long ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is a guy who said, I've investigated it, I've talked to the eyewitnesses, and I want to make sure that somebody writes this down. Because the future generations are going to know what took place in my lifetime. And so that's how the Gospel of Luke starts. And so let's skip down and get to the meat of this message with Luke 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and if you don't know who this is, this was a close relative of Mary, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, and she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David. I guarantee you that Luke would have no clue that cathedrals would be built, wars would be fought, buildings all over the world would be named after, you know, missionaries would be sent out, books would be written, all so that this story could be translated into a language that a common person could read and understand. And Luke, in the first century, is saying, well, I didn't know that would happen, but I wanted the next generation to know that this would happen. And we don't know much about Mary, and I shocked my teenagers when I told them this. In our youth group, I'm the youth minister here, by the way. In our youth group, we've got uh, mainly girls that are ages, you know, 12 to 17. And I told them, 
Mary, when she found out this news that we're going to talk about, was about their age. She was between the ages of 13, maybe 15 years old. And their mouths dropped when I said that because they did not know that. And uh, a lot of people might not know that. Mary was most likely a teenage girl. And her life was most likely planned out for her. She was going to be married. It was an arranged marriage to a guy that she had never met. And her and Joseph would live wherever her parents told them to live, and she would meet them on the wedding day. And the story would usually go like this. Mary, this is Joseph. You guys are going to get married. Even if you don't really like each other, even if you don't really know each other. We aren't even sure if you will love each other or not, but it'll work out. See what I mean? I'm telling you, it's going to work out. You'll have kids, then you'll have grandkids. And if you live long enough, which you probably won't, you might even get to meet those grandkids, and then, you know, you will die. No one will ever know your name because you grew up in this dusty old place called Bethlehem. That was Mary. That was her life planned out. Just another random person, just another random life, random series of events, but God, in this time in history, decided, I'm going to remind you how powerful that I am. And so thanks to Luke that God showed up and he wrote this account for us. And what may seem random to us is very purposeful in the mind of God. And that's why we seek purpose for life, like I was talking about earlier. So verses 28 through 29 here. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Verses 30 through 33. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. And notice, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. Now, we're all adults here. <laughs> we know how the process of having a child works, correct? Okay, so this is physically impossible that this could happen. Physically impossible. And I know that Mary is trying to get a grasp on this, on what she just heard. Uh, but do you realize that Israel had not had an independent kingdom for 500 years? And you're telling me that this magic baby is going to have a kingdom that will never end. Who is going to believe that? But here's her response. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Now, Every, anyone here ever hear the phrase, Son of God? Anyone? Just show of hands. You're in church, so I, you probably have. The Son of God, associated with the name Jesus, exactly what was said was going to happen. 2,000 years later, after this miraculous birth, we think of the Son of God as Jesus because of this moment right here. In Luke 1.36, What's more... Your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, and people used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. And so here's where it's hard to wrap our minds around this story, because there were about 400 years that the Jews 
had not heard from God. And we know this is the 400 years of silence. And so if you look at the book of Matthew, and the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, wraps up, and Jesus is born, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have three different accounts of it. And the world, it's not like it's silent, like everyone's quiet, like the Quiet Place movie for like 400 years. But this is like nothing happened significant for God to intervene. God was silent for 400 years. And there was a Babylonian empire that rose up and everyone thought that the Babylonians would reign forever. And then there was a Persian empire and everybody thought the Persians will reign forever. And so there's 400 years where people were born and they died thinking that Persia will be the kingdom that reigns forever or Alexander the Great comes along and the Greeks come and take over and then everyone thought, well, Greece is going to rule forever. Or Rome, the Roman Empire comes along and Rome is going to rule forever. And so this angel comes to Mary and says, your son Jesus will have the kingdom that will truly last forever and ever. And there were still people that thought, no, the Romans are going to reign forever, just like we thought the Greeks would, and the Persians, and the Babylonians. God dropped directly into the lives of men and women to push the flywheel of his plan. He stepped into history and said, you don't get it. This isn't about empires of men. This is about the will of God. And every one of those kingdoms and empires that came and went, they did that when I said so. And while you're looking at history, you may not see, but life is random. God says life is random, and I am the God of purpose, and everything that happens, it happens according to my will. And so Mary's life goes back to normal. In fact, it got back to subnormal because the angel went away and from what we're told, from what Luke discovered, uh, Gabriel actually never showed up to Mary again. But I bet Mary wished he had, because life became very complicated. And sometimes our life, our days, seem to be made up of mostly random events. And so just think through this with me for a second. This is a pregnant teenage girl that had no explanation as to why she was pregnant other than God did it. And I can just see her wishing and hoping for the angel to return to help her explain to her parents and explain to society that she was pregnant because eventually she met Joseph and he already had the heads up about the whole thing. Angel appeared to him in a dream. And then talk about bad timing. Caesar Augustus decrees that everybody reports to their hometown, register for a census, it's a population record, and Joseph says to Mary, I've got bad news, and then I've got some really bad news. Bad news is we've got to go to Bethlehem, and the really bad news is that you're going to have to ride a donkey while you're pregnant. <laughs> and so, Miss Favored One, Mary here of God, is going to have to ride a donkey for almost 120 miles on the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant. And we all know this part. They get to the hotel to check in. And there's what? No room. Mary's upset with the angel that he didn't even bother to reserve a room for this circumstance. 
And you see her slowly, her mind is deteriorating and wondering, why would God allow this to happen to me? And then she gets a heads up that Herod, King Herod, he finds out about Jesus being born and that he could be the Messiah. He could be the new king, that his kingdom will never end, and Herod is furious. And we get to a very tragic part of the story where we don't want to pause and think about it very long because it's very unsettling. And it has the ability to really drain the fun and the happiness out of Christmas. And so picture with me one morning, people are waking up, they're getting their children ready, ready for another day, and Herod's soldiers come in, show up at the end of town, and they are just going through the city where they believe Jesus was born, and they slaughter every child two years and under in sight. And their assignment was baby boys, but Roman soldiers were thorough. We'll call them thorough. And they would go back and report that they think they got them all, but they went back to double-check and ended up killing every child, boy or girl, who was two years old and younger. And I can picture moms and dads, babies just taken from their arms and slaughtered in front of them too, because soldiers, Roman soldiers were not very polite. And it was a random thing, it was a senseless thing by this King Herod. And I'm sure that Mary, the rest of her life, lived knowing that God saved her baby, but God didn't do anything to save those other children in that town. I'm sure that weighed on her for a long time. And I'm sure we look at this story and think, what is the purpose of that? What is the point in that? And God, if, if you had the presence of mind to warn Mary, why couldn't you have sent the angel to just kill Herod instead? And so they fled town. They travel 200 miles until they get to Egypt and they spent time there. And again, you look at the details and ask yourself, what is the purpose in all of this? How does this fit in? How does this make any sense? And years later, Mary would experience the most unimaginable pain and sorrow as Jesus, her only son, is tortured and nailed to a cross with nails about maybe a foot long, maybe a foot and a half long, that aren't pointed ends either. They don't go through easy. And so she saw the gore. She saw the crown of thorns that was placed on his head as they're dragging him into the street and carry this cross that he would die on. Because the Romans had perfected this art of crucifixion to make sure that a criminal suffered as long as they possibly could. And so she stood there. Miss highly favored, that his kingdom will never end. It will reign forever. And in those moments, it was another act of violence that seemed as though God lost control. We don't look at that part of the Christmas story. But this was the very center of God's activity. Because the moment that it looked like God lost control, God actually took on the sins of the world and saved mankind. And that thing inside of you, the thing inside of me, wants order. We want purpose. We want everything to work together for good 
or to just make sense. That is the thumbprint of God. And on Christmas, we're reminded that even when it seems random, even when it seems purposeless, even when it seems like there's no good, even when there's that uncurable illness, even when there is shock, heartbreaking death of a family member, even when you lose your job, even when your marriage is falling apart, even when it seems like nothing good can come from your situation, we are reminded of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the angel finished telling Mary, this is what's going to happen, and this is what you have to look forward to. And of course, she didn't know the details. She didn't know about the donkey ride. She didn't know about Herod killing all those kids. She didn't know that one day she would be taking her son off the cross and laying him in a grave. And that 2,000 years later, people would gather every week in her son's name. And that one-third of the population would know the Son of God as Jesus. Mary didn't know that. And the biggest takeaway from me, from reading this and planning this, months in advance, I'm not sure what you've been told about faith, how faith has defined you, and maybe you grew up in church and you were taught that faith is what moves God. But perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is to respond to the random events of life as if they are part of the plan, the perfect plan of God. That thing inside of you, that thumbprint of God, the image of God that wants everything to fit is confirmed at Christmas as God sent his son into the world. This random, seemingly purposeless world that we live in, God did something extraordinary. And yet about 35 years later, the Apostle Paul has this hindsight that he would look back on all of this and the life of Jesus and the resurrection and his time with Peter and the disciples, and he would write letters to churches, and in one of the letters to Ephesians, he says, Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. So perfect faith is the faith that says, yeah, we met just like I planned. We got engaged just like I planned. We got married just like I planned. We had our first child just like I planned. But life handed me a divorce. Life handed me a job loss. Life handed me cancer. Life handed me grief and depression and anxiety. And life handed me things that weren't in my plan. And my desire is not to move God back into my plan. But my plan and my faith is designed to help me trust God more. In spite of the fact that life is not moving according to my plan. And note the end of the conversation. Because there's a lot of things Mary could have said. She just could have said, no, I'm not doing that, God. She could have said, I really don't know what to say. 
She could have said anything. Ask questions, point blame, ask why me. But verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And the angel left. And so regardless of what life hands you, or has handed you, regardless of what you're experiencing, that thing that's inside you that wants to find purpose, that says it's not random, there's got to be something more, that's a good thing. That's the thumbprint of God, and it's the reminder that God is active in your world. And he really does have a plan. And so I'd like to close this message with a few thoughts. For some of you, you might say that this Christmas season is not what you expected. You may have been handed something in the last couple of weeks or months or this year that you weren't really planning on going through. And you're staring something down in life and asking, where does this go? If I have this, and I've got all these things here, just how I want them, then where does this go? I don't know where this fits. In fact, I don't want this on my tree. It's very difficult for me to trust God right now when I've got this in my face. And I want to be like Amira. I want to be like your servant and let it be according to your word. I want, I want you to redeem this for good, God. I don't want to lose hope. Because I can't understand. I have good news for you. The same God that raised Jesus from the grave is living alive in you right now. And God sent Jesus here, Emmanuel, God with us, to die for whatever you're going through. And so we want to know where to hang this on the tree. But the truth is that we don't have to know where it goes on the tree. Our responsibility is to believe that everything has been placed on the tree, whether we want it to go there or not. But we've been created for a purpose. We've been created to find this purpose. And sometimes we do find it, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we find it immediately. Sometimes we find it eventually. But at Christmas, we're reminded that life is not as random as it seems. God really can create purpose from the randomness of life. And I want you to know, if you're struggling this Christmas, that God is not just moving when things are going well. God is not just moving when things seem to be falling, falling apart. God's always moving. He moves in the chaos. He moves in the madness of life. And God really can do anything. He really can create purpose from the randomness of life. And so with that, we're going to remember his sacrifice during this time of communion right now. So Justin's back there. He's going to pass these plates. You've got two cups there. The bottom has some bread in it. The other has some juice in it. Take the bread if you'd like. Go ahead and take that first. And then hold the cup 
and we will take that together as a family. Hey, Justin, I need one, too. Thank you. She was a pregnant teenager who conceived before the wedding. And while we know this was a supernatural work of God, most were skeptical. Because whenever she went out into the supermarket, she faced judgment, judgmental stares, harsh whispers, and even crude remarks. And her life seemed to be in shambles. She wanted to do what any of us would do. She wanted to sleep it off. Her ankles were swollen. Her mind was mush. And so they make their way to a roadside hotel for the night, only to find out that due to this census and this mass migration of people that only happens so many years, all the hotels in the area are booked. And so he pulls up Israel Expedia to see if there's any single vacant room in the area. And they crash in a stable that's just filled with animals. And she tries to get comfortable on a bed of hay, tossing and turning. Pain is shooting from her stomach. Normal cramps become full-on contractions. And she screams in anguish. And in the middle of the most chaotic night of her life, there's a cry that rings out over the sound of sheep. An agony turned into a baby boy trembling in her arms. And in just a few decades, she would hold her son again in her arms as his body is taken off of a cross. And three days later, we know the story, that hope prevails. All because of one little random night in a little random town with a little random family. And that really is the glory of this Christmas story. God moves. He moves in the random moments of life. And He can certainly move in ways that you can't even imagine, that you can't anticipate. Jesus came to earth, eventually dying on this cross that would bridge this gap between man and between God. And that is the ultimate source of comfort and order during this random Christmas. When your emotions are running wild, 
And when your environment is as random as could be, the God of the universe brings us peace. And his name is Jesus. Together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you all for joining us. Here in just a second, band's going to come back on stage and we're going to sing one more song. If you're watching online, uh, we thank you so much for being part of our church family. Uh, please join us next weekend in person uh, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior together. We're going to keep passing these plates in here in a second. We're going to sing a song. So when we're done passing pl-